I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Galatians, chapter 2. Galatians, chapter 2, starting today in verse 11. Our sermon series right now is entitled, The Truth of the Gospel, because that was the very thing at stake with this letter, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul was astonished to learn that the churches in the region of Galatia were on the brink of abandoning the truth of the gospel and believing a different gospel, which was really no gospel at all. There was danger in the churches of Galatia. False teachers had infiltrated the churches and accused Paul of having the wrong gospel. They apparently accused Paul of getting his gospel from the apostles of Jerusalem and getting that gospel wrong. Close but no cigar was what they were saying. And because the gospel was at stake, Paul couldn't just take it lying down. He had to write a letter to set the story straight and to try to straighten out these churches on the gospel. Because the gospel is no little thing. If you believe the wrong gospel, if you teach the wrong gospel, if you preach the wrong gospel, you're damned. So ever since chapter 1, verse 11, Paul has had one major overarching goal. Does anybody remember what it is? Paul has been trying to demonstrate that his gospel, the good news that he preached, was not something he got from other men, other mere mortals. Chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preach is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. And verse after verse, Paul's been trying to prove that point. He's been giving us his personal story to prove that point. He didn't go from persecutor to preacher because of some man-made story. He didn't get his gospel from Jerusalem. He hardly spent any time there in the first 14 years. And when he did visit Jerusalem, he had to defend his gospel against those who wanted his teammate Titus to be circumcised. And the other apostles there, Peter, James, John, did not add one thing to his message. Instead, they divided up the labor, agreed to fight poverty, and gave each other the right hand of fellowship. They were 100% together on the gospel. Peter, James, and John agreed with Paul's gospel. He didn't get it from them. They didn't get it from him. They both had gotten it straight from Jesus Christ. Does this sound familiar? Are you with me? Now Paul is going to get to the heart of this letter in the next few paragraphs. Paul is going to reveal the false gospel that was loose among the Galatians. And he's going to counter it with the true gospel of grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. But as he approaches the heart of this letter, he's still trying to make the same basic point that his gospel is not derived and it is not defective. Not derived and not defective. He didn't get his gospel from Peter, James, and John. He says, do you want any more proof of that? Well, then let me tell you about the time I had the public fight with the Apostle Peter over the truth of the gospel. Yes, you heard me right. The Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul went 
head-to-head over a gospel issue, and Peter was in the wrong. Let me read to you Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 16. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So that we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. Will you pray with me? Lord, we've sung this already. So many of those songs went straight to the cross and straight to the grace we have. Can it be that I should gain from my Savior's blood? Died He for me who caused Him pain. We've sung about this. Now, Lord, help me to preach it. I pray, Father, that we would see what was wrong here, what what was going on, and how high the stakes were, and that we would adjust our lives accordingly. Would you do that, Lord? Would you adjust us this morning so that we're going in the direction you want us to go? Not just in the general direction, but in the specific directions, Lord. Put your finger on where we need to change. And make us more like Christ. We pray this in His precious name. Amen. The title for today's message is another long one. It's taken right out of verse 14. Acting in line with the truth of the Gospel. Paul says that that is exactly the opposite of what Peter was doing back in this incident in Antioch. He was not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. Paul has one more story to tell before he gets to the heart of his letter. It's another autobiographical story that shows just how independent he really was from the apostles in Jerusalem. He was so independent, he wasn't afraid to rebuke the apostle Peter to his face in public. That's interesting, isn't it? From the Gospels and from the first part of the book of Acts, it is clear that by now the Apostle Peter was kind of the lead apostle. I don't think he was the first pope, as our Roman Catholic friends do, but he clearly took the lead for the apostles. He was the chief spokesman for them on the day of Pentecost, for example. 
But the Apostle Paul was not afraid to stand up to Peter when he was clearly in the wrong. Look at verse 1 again. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. He stood condemned. Paul's gospel was clearly not dependent on the person of Peter. In fact, Paul's gospel stood over the person of Peter. And if Peter was opposed to Paul's gospel, then it was Peter who needed to be corrected, not Paul's gospel. You see that? You see how the argument works? We're going to come back to that. What was going on here? How did it come to this? Uh, An apostolic sparks fly. (laughs) uh, Head-to-head, loggerheads. Well, apparently the Apostle Peter had left Jerusalem and taken a trip up to Syria and Antioch. Yes, that's the same Syria that's in the news these days. The church in Syrian Antioch was the one that had sent Paul and Barnabas out as missionaries. Paul and Barnabas, we said last week, were the people on the fridge of the Christians at Antioch. And at this church, there were both Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians in Syrian Antioch. Which are better, Jewish Christians or Gentile Christians? Okay, that was a trick question. You're paying attention. Peter, a Jewish Christian had come up to visit the church in Antioch, perhaps to see how things were going. And while he was there, Peter had table fellowship with both Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. He ate with both of them. Is that a big deal? You bet it is. From what we know about the Jews in the first century, they were very careful to stay pure. In terms of what they ate, clean, And with whom? Clean. Think about Daniel and his friends in Babylon in the Old Testament. How careful they were about their diets. Remember how they said, would it be okay if we just ate this? But Peter had had a vision. Do you remember the vision that Peter had back in Acts chapter 10? I called it Peter's pork picnic. Do you remember that? Peter Peter was out and... The Lord, in this vision, brought down this red and black checked tablecloth down to the ground, and on it was this feast full of food from hogs galore, right? Do you remember that? And what did the Lord say? He said, eat it, Peter. And Peter had never done anything like that before in his life. He had a hard time with that idea. But eventually, Peter understood, I think it was three times the Lord said to do it, and eventually, Peter's like, Okay. Eventually, and then he got to the taste of bacon and it was all over, right? Peter eventually understood that the Gentiles had been included in the gospel and that all foods were now declared clean. There'd been a change. So when he went up to Antioch, Peter had bacon, he had a BLT. And he sat with the Gentiles and ate it. And he had a sausage and egg omelet for breakfast. And he sat with the Gentiles and ate it. He had whatever the Gentiles there were eating. He ate it too. Now it's possible that other Jews would have held off on what they ate. Maybe their consciences wouldn't allow them to eat all that stuff. Or even to eat with those Gentiles in the same way for fear of contaminating their purity of their consciences. 
that might have been okay as long as they accepted one another as brothers and sisters in Christ the way we learned about last year in Romans 14 and 15. But when Peter came to Antioch, Peter ate it all. And he ate with the Gentile Christians. No distinctions. Until. Until a group of guys came from James. Look at verse 12. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belong to the circumcision group. Now, we don't know very much about these guys who came from James. I always thought that they were the circumcision group. Same thing, guys from James, circumcision group, perhaps. That's very possible. Perhaps these men had a message from James about being careful whom you offend or how you relate to the law of Moses. Or perhaps they came from James, but they had their own message for Peter. Or maybe they just looked down their noses at him and he noticed. But I've come to think that maybe, more possibly, that these certain men brought a message from James that persecution had increased in Jerusalem of the Christians by the non-Christian Jews. The circumcision, the non-Christian Jews. Because word had gotten out that the Christians were attacking the law of Moses. And if you attack their law, they will attack you. And not just you, the people you love. That seems likely to me. Especially because James and Peter and Paul all agree 100% on the Gospel. It seems likely to me that that's the scenario. But whatever they said, we don't know what they said. We do know what Peter did with it. He slunk back on his principles. Peter drew back and separated himself from the Gentiles, from his Gentile brothers and sisters in Christ. Not because his theology had changed. Not because he realized that he had somehow been in the wrong. This was not repentance on Peter's part. This was not daring to be a Daniel. This was fear. Paul says he did this, verse 12, because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. Peter was afraid. He was afraid of what someone else would think or what someone else would would say or what someone else would do to him or to others. Perhaps he was afraid of persecution. Not just of himself, but of people he cared about back home in Jerusalem. Fear is a powerful motive, is it not? So Peter compromised on his principles. And he became what Paul calls a hypocrite. A hypocrite is someone who says they believe one thing, but they act in a way that shows that they really do not. They act the opposite of what they preach. They talk the talk, but they don't what? Walk the walk. That was Peter at this point in his life. Here was a man who had walked with Jesus. Here was a man who had been commissioned and recommissioned by Jesus. Here was a man who had seen the risen Jesus. He was an eyewitness. He'd been in the empty tomb. Here was a man who had preached on Pentecost and escaped from prison. He was a man who had led the church and led the apostles. And here he is, slinking back 
and taking his lunch tray solely to the Jewish table in the lunchroom alone. And he never takes his tray over to the Gentile table that he had frequented just last week. And others followed his lead. Verse 13, the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Do you feel that? Even Barnabas. Paul's partner. The guy who helped Paul plant these churches in Galatia. These churches know about Barnabas. And he's saying even Barnabas was eating only now with the Jewish Christians. Because everybody else was doing it. Now, I don't know where Paul had been, but when he got back to Antioch, he saw what the situation was and he spoke up. Maybe he did it privately at first, I don't know, but the sin was public, so so was the confrontation. When he had left, there was one church in Antioch, one big, happy church fellowshipping together. When he got back, Peter had effectively divided the church into the Jewish Christian, the Jewish church, and the Gentile church. And he had given the impression that the people in the Gentile church, the Gentile Christians, weren't really Christians. Verse 14, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew. Yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. You know you're free to eat Gentile food with Gentiles. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? To to live like a Jew, to basically become a Jew. You see his point? He's saying Peter is being inconsistent. By separating, separating himself now from the Gentiles, he's sending the message with his actions that they're not proper Christians. Oh, I I could never sit with them. To be a proper Christian, you have to become a Jew first. What's next? Are you going to require that they follow the whole Mosaic law? Are you going to require that they get circumcised? The real Christians are the ones who are fully Jewish. Those are the real Christians. I thought we'd just gone over this with the whole Titus thing in Jerusalem. By his actions, Peter was giving the impression that the only Christians who were acceptable as believers were those who had taken on the Mosaic Law. And that would amount to another gospel. Do you see why Paul calls this in verse 14 not acting in line with the truth of the gospel? Question, did Peter actually believe a different gospel? No. These guys were 100% together on the gospel. Remember that? Peter, James, John, Paul. They'd shaken hands. They'd laid out the gospel. They'd said, yeah, that's the gospel. But Peter's actions were telling a different story than his mouth. He was not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. Here's application point number one of three. Align your life with the truth of the gospel. Align your life with the truth of the gospel. Unlike what Peter was doing. 
We need not only to believe the truth of the gospel and not only to preach the truth of the gospel, but to live in a way that accords with it. See, you can preach a gospel, a false gospel, by living falsely. You can have every box checked correctly on your statement of faith, but live in a way that denies every word of it. For Peter, it was not accepting as brothers those whom he knew genuinely were. How are you and I doing at aligning our lives with the truth of the gospel? Do we walk the walk or do we just talk the talk? If we say that God forgives our sins, do we forgive those who sin against us? If we say that God always keeps His promises, do we stay faithful to ours even when it hurts? If we say that Jesus changes us by His grace, do we demonstrate that we have a changed life? I'm not asking, are we living flawless lives of sinless perfection? The Gospel never says that we do. I'm asking, do we have glaring discrepancies between what we preach and what we live out on a daily basis? Here's why. Because people are watching. And more than that, because you and I have more influence on others than we think. If you claim to be a gospel-believing Christian and you live in a way that is not in line with the truth of the gospel, you are sending not only a false message about the gospel with your life, but you're sending the message that it's okay for others to do it too. Even Barabbas. I mean Barabbas. Barnabas. Even old Barney. Even Barnabas was led astray. The King James translates verse 14 with the words, they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel. And that reflects the Greek really well. Very literal. The word in Greek is, listen to this, orthopodeo. For that walking in line. Orthopodeo. What does that sound like? Orthopedic, right? That's where we get our word orthopedic from. Their actions were not in line. They weren't straight. They were not upright. Let me put it this way. Peter was out of whack, so Paul gave him one. Okay? Are you out of whack? Peter's gospel was good. But he was, at this point in his life, living out of whack with his own gospel. Are, are you living out of whack with the gospel? Are there some areas of your life that are just begging for change? Because they really don't fit with the good news about Jesus? I love it that it was Peter who was out of whack. Because that gives me hope for my own change. Peter obviously got the message. Maybe not at first, but the rest of his life demonstrated a closer correspondence between his gospel and his behavior. Read 1 Peter or 2 Peter to see. How about you and me? How are we doing at living in the fear of God instead of the fear of men? Peter had temporarily succumbed to the fear of the circumcision group. He was acting like he thought they wanted him he was acting like he thought they wanted him to. Whom are you acting for? What drum are you dancing to? Align your life with the truth of the gospel. Number two, call upon others 
to do the same. Call upon other Christians to align their lives with the truth of the gospel. I don't know about you, but I'm still amazed that Paul stood up to Peter. I don't know if I could have ever done that. I'm sure I couldn't have without God's grace. But Paul thought that it was necessary. The gospel was at stake, so he spoke up. Can you imagine being a fly on the wall for that conversation? Other people were following Peter into hypocrisy, even Barnabas. So Paul spoke up, even to an apostle. When was the last time you confronted a brother or sister in Christ about their behavior that was bringing shame on the gospel? Hey, buddy, think about what you're doing there. Hey, friend, that's no good. Christians shouldn't do that. Hey, brother, I have to say something to you about that. It's, it's the opposite of the gospel. Hey, sister, can we talk about what you're doing there? Because it's sending the wrong message to the rest of the church. We don't like to do that sort of thing. Actually, I, there are some people who like to do that sort of thing, but they have another problem. Right? I don't think Paul liked to do it. But the gospel was at stake. And it didn't matter who the person was. It could be any Christian, including any church leader. This was Peter, for crying out loud. What mattered was the gospel. The gospel was worth confrontation about. Friends, if I live out of whack with the gospel, I invite you to point it out to me. Give me a whack. I'm not calling for us to run around whacking everybody we disagree with. Especially on minor things. But the gospel is a major thing. And we can't stay silent. We must speak up. Peter's behavior might have seemed a small thing. He was just not eating with certain people that he used to eat with. No big whoop. But his behavior was actually a major thing. He was saying with his behavior that only those who were keeping the law were saved and acceptable to be around. Paul had to call him out on that. Is there somebody that you need to call out? Is there somebody you need to rebuke? Somebody you have a relationship with? I remember once I saw a Christian friend who was not acting like a Christian on social media. They were spreading false stories and doing it in a rude way. My instinct in most of those cases is to hide the person or just to scroll by, but I had enough of a relationship with them that I felt I should say something. So I was no Paul. I didn't do it to his face. I did it to his Facebook. (laughs) But I tried to say, friend, you're better than this. Friend, That's not how a Christian should act on Facebook. Friend, that story is not true. Here's the true facts. Link. I'd recommend you take it down. And they did. And they even thanked me. I like to think that Peter thanked Paul, at least eventually, for this rebuke. The Proverbs say, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Who do you need to love? Like that. 
Number three and last, put your faith in the truth of the gospel. Because that's what this is all about. Paul continues speaking to Peter, verse 15, We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. Because by observing the law, no one will be justified. There is so much there. And we've run out of time. We'll come back to it next week. But the point Paul is making to Peter is that they know the gospel. And it's a gospel of grace. Not the gospel of doing the law. The gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ. We are justified in Christ. Remember that from Romans? Dikaiosune? We just had a lesson in it in the adult Sunday school classes this morning. Paul says to Peter, as great as it is to be born a Jew, we don't want to make other people into Jews. We want to share the gospel of grace with them. You don't get saved. You don't get justified by observing the law. Doesn't work that way. Never has. You don't get saved. You do get saved. You do get justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Put your faith in Him. Not in yourself, not in your works, not in your circumcision, not in your clean Jewish diet or hanging out with your clean Jewish friends, but in Jesus Christ alone. Put your faith in the gospel of grace.